Good morning. It's so good to be here with you all this morning to come together to worship God and and to spend this time lifting one another up and as we sing these praises, as we as we encourage one another with the reminder uh, that I'm so often uh, so oftentimes brought to memory as we partake of the Lord's Supper that that we are we are going through this life. Uh, Together, And I think Richard's song that he led before the Lord's Supper was an excellent song for us to consider. Um, because troublesome times are uh, around us at a constant time. But we have this reminder that we have the, the love of Christ and the power of Christ that is, that is with us. And we have the brotherhood, the, the, the family that he has created uh, in, in the church to, to lift one another up and to continue to encourage us. And I am very encouraged by you all. I hope that I can... Uh, give back a, a fair share of that encouragement uh, my, myself. This morning I want to consider a question that maybe would have been better considered before the Lord's Supper, but I think is a question that we should consider uh, at, at any time. The gospel message tells us, it, it describes to us the death of, of Christ. Jesus came, Jesus died, and He shed His blood so that we might have a, a hope um, of salvation so that we might have our sins forgiven. And this is all done according to the Scriptures, according to, to uh, the Scriptures that the Jews had had. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, <clears throat> it says, For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to... To the scriptures, and we read about that over in Isaiah 53, and we're going to be back to Isaiah here in a little while. If you want to, maybe just kind of keep a, a tab or, or a finger there. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, "Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities." The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. In fact, the Bible would later tell us, without the shedding of blood, there, there is no remission of sins. The blood was a very important part of the, the sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 we read this, and according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is mentioned again in the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Here in this passage, we read, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So we see the, the, the message that the Bible, the, the Bible brings to us, the message that the gospel brings to us, that Jesus died and shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sins. But maybe sometimes we, we need to stop and we need to ponder or we need to question, couldn't Jesus have simply died? Couldn't he have had a quick death? The animal sacrifices that we read about in the, in the, the Old Testament were nothing consider, uh, compared to the death that Jesus endured. The, the quick slice of a knife and their life was over. So why did Jesus endure scourging? Why did He endure mocking? Why did He endure the crucifixion? Why did Jesus have to suffer? I guess this is the question that I want to consider this morning. I'm going to try to go a little slower this morning. I don't have a PowerPoint uh, to, to put the verses up, and we're going to turn to several verses. Um, but I think this is, this is an important question for us to consider. This is an important thought for us to, to, to give note of. And when we do that, we need to begin by looking at the fact that He did suffer many things, and not all of them happened on the cross. There's a term that is sometimes used in the world, the passion of, of Christ. There's a movie that you might remember uh, made uh, not too terribly long ago. And in that movie, it depicts the time, and, and that phrase depicts the time from the Garden of Gethsemane until Jesus' death on the cross. That is what is typically called, des described as 
the passion of Christ. And what that word means is the suffering of Christ. But I want to consider this before we, before we jump into that, that Christ's suffering started long before His passion. See, for 33 roundabout years, He did suffer. He suffered temptations. Temptations were a daily struggle in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 tells us this. We do not have a high priest who, can sympathize, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus endured the suffering of living in this sinful world and the temptations that come with it for every day of his life. For the first 33 uh, so years of his life, and yet he did so without sin. We also know that he suffered rejection. He suffered things that were very common to us. Look over in Luke. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 4, we read here in this passage the, some of the rejection that Jesus experienced. Uh, or we'll read about the ejection he experienced in his own hometown. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, let's read that together. He says, or it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. So here Jesus is, is back to his hometown. This is his home turf. The people that, that probably at this point in his life know him better than anybody else. But let's go on down a little bit to verse 28, and let's read what the outcome of this was. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Jesus experiences rejection that is very different from the rejection that you and I often experience. So oftentimes we do have people who don't want to have anything to do with us, maybe because of what we believe, or maybe even on just a, a very worldly level, we experience rejection from, from people who we thought would be our friends who decided, no, that's not what they're going to do, to do. But Jesus experienced rejection in the sense that these people heard the message that he was bringing, and they wanted to go and throw him off a cliff. But verse 30 says, passing through their midst, he went on his way. Jesus experienced so much suffering. In Luke 11, we read of the blasphemous accusations that were made against him. Verse 14 says, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Jesus, when he, even when he would do good, mankind was looking for ways to take that good and to, to twist it to say, no, this is the power of Satan working here. In Luke 16, verse 14, we see a common uh, cause of his suffering in the Pharisees. Luke 16, verse 14, Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. The Pharisees stirred up all sorts of trouble for Jesus, scoffing, causing derision, and they, they would constantly um, bombard him with these deceitful questions, hoping that they could somehow trap him. They could somehow ensnare him. Look over in Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20 and in verse 20 says, So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. How First of all, we've noticed before, the Pharisees seem very petty at times. But how petty that they put people around, they positioned people around Jesus just for the fact that they could try and catch him in some way, try and ensnare him in his words. If we go on down, Luke's not the only one that records these things. We look over in John. John chapter 6, let's read verses 60 and 61 of John chapter 6. These words say, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, this is a different, uh, when they heard this said, this is a different, difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus' conscience is that, <clears throat> excuse me, but Jesus' conscience that his disciples grumbled at this said to them, does this cause you to stumble? 
whenever they heard the hard words of Jesus, some of his disciples, they defected. They listened to these things. They, they, they heard these things that were they're difficult to swallow. They were difficult for, for them to be uh, looked at and to, and to obey. And many of the things Jesus was saying to them were difficult for them to, to understand and to follow. Um, but but they, they would look at these things, and what they would do is instead of drawing closer to Him, instead of trying to, to understand more, instead of trying to be sympathetic to, to His teaching, we see verse 66, as a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew. And we're not walking with him anymore. You think about how difficult. You know, sometimes we read these words and we separate ourselves from the experience that Christ is having because we're not there. And, and we're not going through that. We're not standing before the multitudes and proclaiming a message that is vitally important to them and having them say no. Having them turn and walk away. When we experience that on a small scale, maybe with a loved one, a friend or a co-worker that we, we take this message to and, and they reject it. That's difficult. It's difficult because we, we love them and we want, to see, we want to see them come to Christ. But this was large scale. This was Christ coming in and humanity. Uh, many with disciples were turning and were going away from, from what uh, he was saying. Not only did he have to deal with that defection, but he also had to deal with the ridicule. Ridicule from, from, from the, the, those that, that, that should have been leading the people, from the Pharisees, from the rulers. But listen in John chapter 7 where the ridicule is coming from. In verse 3, John chapter 7 verse 3 says, Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. How difficult that must have been that even your own family. They are, well, we read these things. We shouldn't read what they're saying here as, as them going, you know, you need to go. Let, let's devise a business strategy to get your message out there. They are making fun of him. They are ribbing him. Yeah, go do this so everybody can see you. Because if you're going to do these things, you shouldn't do a secret. You should do this out in public. Because they didn't believe. In fact, in verse 40 of the same chapter, John chapter 7 and verse 40, it says, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. And others were saying, This is the Christ. And still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? he was, has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Jesus put up with not only rejection, he put up with not only his, his <clears throat> disciples turning away and, and, and leaving and withdrawing from him, and not only with his brothers making fun of him, but he just put up with, with ignorance. And that, not to say that word in a, in a mean sort of way, but just simply a, a lack of knowledge with what the scriptures actually taught. Again, a very difficult thing as you're, as you're trying to present this message and the people you're talking to who, who should be the people of your Father, the people of God, have not even studied enough, have not made themselves acquainted with the Word enough to even recognize the truth that He was speaking. Then we also need to consider that there was, there was likely a lot of anticipation uh, that would produce uh, anxiety in Christ. Look at Luke chapter 18. On several occasions, on several occasions, Jesus would go to his disciples and he would confide in them, saying in, in verse 31, Luke chapter 18 and verse 31, he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. You remember what we read over in Isaiah 53? These are, some of the, these are the things that he's talking about, that he's telling them about. It says in verse 32, For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. You think of the message that, that he is giving to his disciples right now. If I was to go and to tell my, my closest friends that... We're going somewhere in a couple days. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be captured. And I'm going to be brutally mistreated and, and, and mocked and, and hurt and then eventually killed. 
even with the, uh, with the understanding that he was going to rise again. And we have that understanding today that one day in the future we will rise again. Death is still a difficult thing. And the fact that Christ was getting ready to physically endure this, not as, not as just as deity, but also as man. That's one of the things that Luke does so well is to describe the humanity of Jesus. That he was going to physically experience, he was going to emotionally experience so much, that's, that's bound to bring anticip- uh, anxiety within the heart. But listen to the comfort that he received in verse 34. The disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of the statement was hidden from them and they did not comprehend the things that were said. He is going to them and he is, he is essentially pouring out his heart to, these are what's going to happen to me. And yes, he's preparing them. Preparing them so that when these things happen, they will not, they will not be overcome with, with fear. Because the, the, the man who came and said, I was the son of God, was now dead. He was preparing them for that, but he was also sharing with them what is going to happen, and they don't understand at all what he's going through. And then to make matters worse, he gets together for the Passover meal, and was, as, as we've already discussed in the Lord's Supper, he's, he's instituting this, this memorial to remember, uh, remember him and to look forward to, to his coming. And what's going on during this time that should have been, should have been drawing them so close to him and should have, should have been inc- so encouraging to him as, as, as we think of if, if they had turned and they had, had started to, to understand or if they had turned and tried to comfort. But in Luke 22, as he's doing, talking about this, in verse 24 we read, And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. As Jesus is here talking and he has set up this memorial, the Lord's Supper, and they're saying, which one of us though, Lord, which one of us is going to be the best? Which one of us is going to be greatest? These petty fights that were going on. And then the announcements of betrayal, abandonment, denial. He knows what's coming. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 21. He tells them, <clears throat> the master said to him, excuse me, I'm in Matthew chapter 25. Let's try 26. Matthew 26, verse 21. Jesus, as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. We know that, that he is talking in reference to Judas Iscariot, but, but still the, the, the knowing that, that one who has been so close, that he handpicked, is going to turn him over for, for such a, a meager amount of, of, of money and is going to do it with a kiss of all things. He's going to be abandoned. Verse 31, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. In verse 34, to Peter, he says, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not only is Jesus having to deal with the fact that his, his selected disciple is going to betray him, the fact that all of his followers are going to run away from him, one of them is going to up and down convince those around him that he has absolutely nothing to do with him. There's a lot of indignity going on. of the, These things that, that were magnified by knowing for us who it was that was talking. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings. And yet, as Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, through all, all of this, He made Himself to be of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. Christ didn't have to suffer any of that. He didn't have to go through... Uh, uh, um, uh, even a second of any of the thing that he went through, he could, have, he, he could have made it very clear to the world that he was the Son of God, God on earth, God and man in one, and yet he made himself of no reputation. No, no glory was drawn to him at this time. He just endured, endured the suffering. And that leads us up to the point of his passion. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look over at Luke. Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> in verse 44, it says, uh, Luke 22, verse 44, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweats became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The great agony that he was in is and a, a literal medical observation of, of times of great anguish, times of, of great trouble and trial, that the, the sweat can actually pull blood from the body. It very literally could have, could, uh, you know, not just an a, a image that is painted for us, but a very literal Jesus could have had blood pouring out of his body from the trials that he was going through, the things that he was suffering. And then as all this is going on, his disciples that he has taken with him, he goes back, having given them this simple command to just watch. Just watch. And in Mark 14, verse 37 through 41, we read that they, they were not even able to do that. Mark 14, verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what, what to answer him. And he came the third time. And he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us go. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So as he endures these things, we're reminded, before the, the, the time of Gethsemane, before the time of the cross, he endured these things very much alone. He, he, the, the world, the people around him didn't understand what he was going through. And even now, in some of his greatest times of, 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 of trouble, he is still alone in this, in this world uh, by, by the, the people that surrounded him. The, the disciples were were not able to do even, even the, the smallest thing that he had asked them, to stay awake and to watch. And then again, he is followed by the betrayal that he, that he warned would come, that he, had, that he had already foretold. Mark chapter 14, verse 43. It says, Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a crowd with, sword, with swords and clubs who were with the, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who is betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And after coming, Jesus immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, or excuse me, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands upon him. When we read about the betrayal of Jesus, we read of a symbol that for, for all of, of, as far back as we can remember, has represented love has represented relationship of trust and of care and of nurture. A kiss of all things was the symbol, the signal that Judas used to betray the greatest source of love the world has ever known. And then everyone abandons him. Verse 50. They all left him and fled. John 18 verse 13 describes his arrest he is, he is bound. And before Annas, the father-in-law to Caiaphas, he, the high priest, he, he is taken uh, not even to, to the high priest where, where under their law he, he should have been taken to uh, if he was going to face the accusations that they're going to make to him. But he's taken to the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And in John 18, verse 17, we read, that, uh, we read about the, the second part of what he foretold. We are talking about the, or I guess, I'm sorry, the third part. He foretold the, the betrayal. He foretold the abandonment. And then in John chapter 18, verse 17, we start to read about the denial by Jesus. It says in John 18, verse 17, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, <clears throat> the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. In verse 25 through 27, following after this, it says, For I am in, I apologize, I am in Luke. <laughs> John 18, verse 17. It says, Then a slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also 
one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And as if that were not, not bad enough, that he, that he had denied him there. In verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And so they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And then Peter denied him again, denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. All of this is going on as Jesus is suffering this this terrible and and completely unlawful arrest uh, and, and being captured and being questioned. And in fact, in verse 22 of John chapter 18, as, as Peter is denying Christ, we're reading about what's going on to him physically. It says, when he had said this, uh, speaking of the, the, the phrase that he had just said in verses 20 and 21, when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus. And then he is led away bound again to, uh, before Caiaphas. And again, and this illegal assembly of the council at nighttime. You know, when we think, of, we think of big companies and you think of board of directors, they have their meetings. They have their, their, their big uh, board meetings where decisions are made. And, and they publicize the time when people are going to come. And they typically do those meetings sometime during the day because it's not being done in the, the shadow of night. They're not doing those things to try and sneak something in behind another board director's uh, um, knowledge and trying to secretly get something done. That's exactly what's going on here. When, when, they, call, when they call this council together to, to question and to try Jesus, they do it at night because they are trying their best to sneak this in, to get this done as quickly and, and as illegally, and in this case, as possible. And as they bound him and they take him away to this, Matthew chapter 26, it discusses the, some of the things that, that were, he was accused of and how he was accused falsely. Verse 59 of Matthew chapter 26 it says, now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. And they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. <clears throat> and the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is, this, what is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. The physical abuse for Jesus now intensifies. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. says, Then they spat upon his fa- in his face. They beat him with their fists. <clears throat> and others slapped him. And said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? They blindfold him. They're spitting on him. They're smacking him. They're beating him around. They are making fun of him. And as Luke says in chapter 22, verse 65, with many other words, they blasphemed him. And then over in Mark chapter 15, before the council in the morning, as this has gone on all night long, as he has endured this, Mark 15, verse 1, we see that he is bound yet again. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate. The things that he had endured, the, the mistreatment, the, the, the physical abuse, the, the mental abuse, the lack of respect for the fact that this was the Christ before them, was not over. John chapter 18, we see that he is taken before Pilate, and now he is separated from his accusers. <coughs> he is unaccompanied from the accusers. In John chapter 18, verse 28, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter in the praetorium, so that they would not be defiled, 
but might eat the Passover. And so we read here, we read here the fact that what is coming up, what is important to the Jews and would have been important to Jesus, the, the Passover feast is going on, they excuse themselves. We're going to go and we're going to, we want to go and be, still be able to, to observe what God has told us to observe. And the, the irony of that decision to go and to, to consider the, the time when God overlooked those who were covered by the blood. We are going to go and we're going to remember that from, the book, from Exodus, from the time in Egypt, while they had delivered the Lamb that the blood of that lamb would soon be offered to cover their sins. And they did so in such a, a unloving and such a hateful manner. And then Luke 23 describes yet again, Christ has to face accusations of falsehood. In Luke 23, verse 10, it says, And the chief priest and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently, and Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressing him in a gorgeous robe, sent him back to Pilate. So he is sent before Herod. After, after being seated before Pilate for some time, he is sent to Herod, who is, is a, a puppet king, a shadow king. He, he really is, is not of any great significance, but has been placed in, in this position by Rome. And so Jesus is sent before him. And again, they accuse him. Again, they, they, they bring up false charges against him. And they abuse him some more. They, they, they put this, this robe on him to signify royalty. Claiming that he has absolutely none. Claiming that he has absolutely no position at all in this earth. Before they send him back <clears throat> to Pilate. And then before Pilate a second time. We see something happen in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 13, in relation to him and another, another prisoner. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. And now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man, and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, wanting to release, release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death, and therefore I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent and with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail, and Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he, deliv but he delivered Jesus to their will. How that must have felt. Jesus standing before them, the opposite of murder, the one who brought life into existence, the one who came to make their lives whole, the one who came not to, to start rebellion, but to, to completely squash rebellion. As we see that the, the teachings that Christ was, was going to bring about, especially through his apostles, was one of, of servitude even to the government. And yet, these people, again, who should have seen more clearly than anyone, as they scream and shout and completely overpower the words of Pilate, saying, crucify him, demanding it, begging for it. And so yet again, Jesus is carted off. This time to be scourged, as Mark 15, 15 says. And the Roman soldiers were, were abusive to him, surrounded by a whole garrison. And Mark chapter 15, verse 16 speaks of that. But Mark, or Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27 speaks about how they stripped him down. Verse 28 says, They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. 
Again, the, the blasphemy that goes on here in, in the, the assumption that he is nothing. You are not royalty. You are not a king. You are nothing. Mere man has taken everything from you. We will put this robe on you, but we can take it right back off again. And then they put the crown of thorns on his head. In verse 29, after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him. And they mocked him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And again, they spit on him, and they strike him in the head with the reed. They make fun of him more. They take the robe away from him. And then starting in verse 31, they begin to lead him away towards Golgotha. Lead him away to be crucified. And on this journey to Golgotha, he continues to endure the abuse. First, he is having to bear this cross, the, the, the cross piece of the timber, the way that they very typically crucified the, uh, those who deserve that death, the, that the government chose to, to, to administer that to, would be to have them pull their, their cross member. The, the cross would have had a, a vertical pillar that was affixed in the ground, but yet the, the one accused would have had to pull the, the cross member that would have weighed anywhere from 75 to 150 pounds across their back. And Jesus is doing this while his back is ripped to shreds has been torn apart by the punishment and, and the abuse that he is, is he's already endured. And as he, as he makes this, this trip, the great crowd follows around him. And we hear uh, the, the women that, that have, have been a, a part of, of his life for so long. Luke chapter 23 talks about them and how they were, they were greatly lamenting him and they were mourning what he was going through. Luke chapter 23, verse 27. It says, And following him was a large crowd of people and the women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things, when the tree is green... What will happen when it is dry? Even in this time of, of, of suffering, and we, we picture this, we, we close our eyes and we see the, the broken and the bloodied Christ dragging. <clears throat> dragging his cross. And we see the women around him, and he looks at them and he says, I'm still concerned for you. I'm still thinking about you, and he's still telling them to, to be prepared in his care for them is what's still at the forefront of his mind. And then we see him at the crucifix. And Matthew chapter 27 describes something here that was, that was commonly done for those about to endure the cross. Verse 33 says, When he came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting that he was unwilling to drink, they gave him they gave him something to numb the pain. They gave him something that would assist in this as he went through it. And he refused this anesthesia, if you will. He refused to take it. He, he instead chose to endure the full pain and the full extent of what he was being called to go through in this death. And then Luke 23, again, describes his care and the thoughts of his, wor uh, of his mind as this was happening. In verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and one on the other on the left, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus was still, throughout all of this, doing exactly what he had done his whole life. He was still compassionate. He was still caring. He was still loving his creation. The people that were, were even murdering him at that day, he was, he was interceding on their behalf before the Lord. 
Verse 34 goes on to say that the soldiers divided his garments. They cast lots for them. And all of this is, is, is fulfilling prophecy. But we still imagine Jesus, this is not done in, 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 in some faraway place from him. As he watches those that he is dying for, treat him like he is just some, some common person, some, some, some ordinary criminal. And we're just going to take everything he has. We're, we're, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. Oh, this, maybe this looks good. I'll, I'll take that one. And the people stand by as all this is going on. Mark 15 continues to describe how they stood by and they blasphemed as all this is happening. The chief priests, they mock him. They sneer him. Look over in verse 31 of Mark chapter 15. It says, In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. The soldiers are mocking him. The people around are mocking him. The thieves are mocking him. We even read that one just continues in that blasphemy. And for six hours, he hung upon the cross. Verse 25 of Mark chapter 15 <clears throat> it says it was the third hour when they crucified him. In verse 33, it says when it was the sixth hour, came, uh, dar- when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Jesus endured all of this, not from some short period of time. This wasn't the electric chair. This wasn't lethal injection. This was an all-day event. This was something that took time. And Jesus endures for six hours. He's hung on the cross before Mark chapter 15, verse 34. We read, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 tells us that he, he became the sin of the world. Perhaps that is the, that is the purpose for his crying this out. The, the burden uh, of, of becoming and bearing all the sin of the world. Sin which God cannot look upon. Maybe that is uh, the reason he cried out. Or perhaps because of the great suffering that he was enduring. The great spiritual agony. But he, he voices his, his pain. He voices that agony. To God. <clears throat> and then Luke 23 Verse 46, after calling out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus died. As prophesied, as we read in Isaiah 53, Jesus was stricken, Jesus was smitten, Jesus was afflicted, he was wounded, he was bruised, he was chastised, he he endured the stripes, he was oppressed, he was led to slaughter, he was cut off from the land of the living. And again, we have to ask, why? Why was, was anyone ever be called to endure such a thing? But why the Son of God? Why did it please the Lord, as Isaiah 53.10 says, to, to bruise him, to, to have him bear the grief? Why could his death for our sins not have been merciful? Why did Jesus suffer? And I believe there are answers to that question. I believe there are reasons that Jesus endured such great suffering. And the first reason that I believe he did that for was because he was bringing us closer to God. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, and the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Paul, or excuse me, Peter explains this in his epistle, that the purpose of Jesus going through this brutal death was so that he might bring us closer, so that we might be drawn near to God. Isaiah 53, uh, verse 6 if we, if we flip back over there, Isaiah 53, 6 says, And all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, but each one, of us, each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We see that, that all that iniquity fell on him. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 
2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21 goes on to say, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg on you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Part of the reason Jesus suffered these things, part of the reasons we had to be drawn close to God was because we had gone so far away from God. We had turned away, and Jesus was the only way for us to be able to come back to Him, to take those sins and to become that sin Himself, having known no sin, but to become sin. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10. through He was motivated by love. God sent His Son to be this propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation was a word that was used to describe the, the offering that a man would make to appease or to, to, to make a God happy. And God made the propitiation. He's the one that provided because there was nothing that man could have offered to, to make up for what sin had done to the world and the sin had done in our lives. And so God made the propitiation. 1 John chapter 4 says in verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His, His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The suffering that Jesus endured, it reveals two things. One, it reveals the terribleness of sin. Sin is universal. Romans 3, verse 23 says that, says that all, all have fallen short. All have sinned. Romans 6, verse 23 says the consequence of sin is death. The wages of sin are death. And Jesus' suffering reveals the terribleness of that sin. But Jesus' suffering also reveals the greatness of the love of the Father. John 3, verse 16, reminds us of that. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. He died for a world that did not believe in Him. He died for a world that did not love Him. Romans 5, verse 8, says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The suffering that Christ endured, it... It magnifies the love of, the God, uh, of God, but it also highlights the love of the Son. John chapter 15, in <clears throat> verse 13, says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Similarly, 1 John 3. 1 John 3 and verse 16 says, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus was wounded. And Jesus did suffer. He suffered because of our transgressions. He's bruised because of our iniquities. And He did so to highlight the love that God has for us, the love that He has for us, and the, the, the links that they were willing to go to, to restore man from a place of sin into a place of righteousness with God. But it was also for the purpose of becoming our high priest. Over in Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer, the Hebrew writer spends much time talking about the priesthood of, of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Every high priest taken from among man is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. In order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. Christ was able to become a good high priest because he is able to be compassionate with the lives that we live, because he lived the lives that we live. In chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him for whom all are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to perfect, uh, to perfect the author of their salvation 
through sufferings. He suffered. And the suffering that he went through prepared Jesus to be the perfect high priest. To aid those who are tempting, verses 17 and 18 of the same chapter tell us. Verses 14 and 16 of chapter 4. They go on to say, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Because as we read in verse 15, we, can, we do have a high priest who can sympathize with us. So he is able to aid us when we are tempted. He is able to, to recognize our weaknesses and sympathize with those things. And he is able to appreciate the challenge that obedience is for those in the flesh. It says in verse 7 of chapter 5, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So Christ lived and he suffered so that he could be made a perfect high priest. Our perfect high priest. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read that through all this, he now lives to intercede for us. Saying, verse 25, he is able to... Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If we turn over to the book of Romans for a little bit, Romans chapter 8, we see here in verse 34 that that he suffered to provide mercy and grace in our time of need. Romans 8, verse 34. It says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And then verse 35 through 39 says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus suffered through so many terrible things to set that example for us to provide mercy and to provide grace and to provide strength so that we can be, we can be conquerors. We can be those who overcome whenever we are facing trials. His suffering makes him that perfect high priest, that intercessor. But his suffering also then makes us, or, or makes him our great example. Just a few more passages. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 24. This passage says, For what credit? <clears throat> For what credit is there if when you sin you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body and on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. He has made an example for us, for the sake of righteousness, when we are mistreated for doing good, when we are, are, are going through our own trials, our own temptations, we should trust in God to judge rightly. We should persevere in our battle against sin. 1 Peter 4, 1-4 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. 
He says that, that Jesus was our example going forward uh, in, in battling sin, battling the, the relationship that it sometimes puts us with in the world when they don't understand and they, they might ridicule, they might make fun of. As we seek to live for the will of God and turn from the lusts of the flesh, and as we endure the ridicule of the world, we're reminded of the example of Christ. And we're reminded of the love that He had one for another and the love that He had for, for enemies as well. John chapter 13. <clears throat> John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, which says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Or excuse me. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Jesus set the example of love. And he reminded those in, in, on, on the Sermon on the Mount, those who, who had heard the message of love but had not globally lived and, and, and exemplified that message of love, that it is not just for those who do good. Jesus on the cross, as the, as the soldiers mocked him, as the people crucifying him, uh, he showed love. He showed compassion. We sometimes sing that song, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called enough angels to completely eradicate the world. He could have pulled the, 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 the nails from his wrists. He could have came down from the cross. But Jesus exemplifies love for one another and love for those who would even be our enemies. Blessing those who cursed him, we should bless those who curse us. Doing good for those who hated him, we should do good for those who hate us. And praying for those who persecute us. His suffering illustrates how far we must go for the sake of love and righteousness. And I hope, that, I hope that looking at this, we can appreciate more fully exactly why Christ had to suffer. He had to suffer to pay the terrible price for sin. We need to stop looking at sin as just some little whoopsie-doo. Sin was a terrible, terrible price attached to it. But Jesus paid that price. He paid that he, he suffered so that he could be our perfect, perfect advocate in our struggle against sin. He suffered so that he could motivate us to reach a higher plane in striving for love and righteousness. And so as we contemplate on these things, and I, I pray that we will continue to do so, we contemplate the suffering that Jesus went through and that it served as an inspiration for those who have yet to obey the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38 describes how those who had yet to obey recognized the suffering that Christ endured and what that motivated them to do. It also is a, is a motivation for those who have obeyed the gospel and have fallen back into sin. Over in Acts chapter 8, let's look there real quick. Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Acts chapter 8 verse 22, speaking of Simon the sorcerer, says, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, uh, pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' suffering that he endured should serve as a vivid reminder when, uh, for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have been covered by that blood through obedience to him, through, through being made like him in, in baptism. When we sin, when we sin, we are just like those who are hammering the nails into the cross. We're just like those who were spitting upon him. We're just like those who are mocking him. And we need to turn from that because the price that he paid for those sins to be covered was certainly high. And the amount of suffering that he endured for that was unfathomable. Do we desire to live for Christ? even in a world that is unfriendly to him? Do we desire to follow after his example? Do we desire to be Christians, to be Christ-like?
First Peter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. And then chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. This morning we have a wonderful opportunity. If we have not yet taken advantage of it, to come to Christ and to to be made whole, to have our sins covered, to have our sins washed away, thanks to the suffering that He endured. And if we have not yet taken advantage of that, I encourage you that there is, there is no better time than now to do so. But we also have an example to meditate upon our lives. Are we following in that example that He has set? As we walk each day, as we walk in, amongst our friends and amongst the world, amongst our families, Are we living a life that glorifies the suffering and honors the commitment that Christ made when He stayed upon that cross? If there's some way this morning which we can help you in that, which we can be of assistance to you, we have that opportunity now, and I hope that you would make it known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.